Pastor Chris's podcast. Exodus 10, verse 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. Exodus 10, verses 24 through 29. Finally, Pharaoh called for Moses. Go and worship the Lord, he said. But leave your flocks and herds here. You may even take your little ones with you. No, Moses said. You must provide us with animals for sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord our God. All our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for the Lord our God from among these animals. And we won't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more, and he wouldn't let them go. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted at Moses. I'm warning you, never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Very well, Moses replied. I will never see your face again. So Egypt worshipped thousands of gods and goddesses conjured up from their own imaginations. The most important god among them was the sun god, Re. It could be pronounced Re or pronounced Ra. Uh, I kind of like calling it Re because it reminds me about who Re was. Um, Ray was believed to rule all the parts of the created world, the sky, the earth, the underworld. He was the god of the sun, the god of order, the god of kings and of the sky. Ray was portrayed as a falcon and shared characteristics with the sky god Horus. All forms of life, the Egyptians believed, had been created by Ray. But Yahweh, the one true god, revealed in the Bible sent 10 plagues to show everyone that the gods of Egypt were nothing. Yahweh is Lord of all. Can you name the eight plagues that we have gone through so far? First, it was turning the the river Nile into blood, and then frogs, and then gnats, flies, livestock dying, boils, hail, locusts, and today darkness. The ninth plague, God sent darkness, and it was a direct assault on the Egyptian god, Re, the sun god. Egyptians believed that every evening when the sun set below the horizon, their god, Re, descended into the underworld. Through the night, Re journeyed through the underworld and was reborn at dawn as the sun rising above the horizon. That was their belief. Egyptian religion was all about bringing order to chaos. 
Their religious traditions sought to maintain the natural order of things in their world as they saw them according to their worldview. And their myth about Ray's daily cycle of death and resurrection assured them that life in Egypt would continue as usual and Egypt would continue as the most powerful empire in the world. Like the cycle of night and day, they believed that there would be times of darkness, but of course, then the light would always come. And then the Lord sent darkness on Egypt, not for the 12 hours of night, but for three whole days. The darkness the scripture describes is not just the darkness of night or natural occurring eclipse that you might see from time to time. The plague of darkness lasted three days. It was a supernatural event. It brings to mind the three days that the prophet Jonah spent in the belly of a whale. Don't you know it was dark in there? Or maybe it brings to mind the uh, Christ dying on the cross and being buried in a tomb for three days. Verse 21 says, it was a darkness so thick you could feel it. Can you imagine a darkness so thick you can feel it? A few years ago, Kelly and I took the kids to the Lost Sea up near Athens, Tennessee. Have you ever been there? Some of you might have been if you live around these parts. Because uh, it's a cave that you go into, and down deep in the cave is a, a lake, an underground lake. And of course, they have lights on the walls, and you carry flashlights. But you get to this one place, and the tour guide tells you, he says, all right, everybody get ready. We want you to see what it is like to experience absolute darkness. And they turn off all of the lights. And it is so dark, you can't, literally cannot see your hand just a few inches from your face. Because there is no light underground in the cave. That's the kind of darkness that Egypt experienced for three days in this plague. Three days not being able to see. Verse 23 says, the people could not see each other and no one moved. And this went on for three days. But there was light as usual for the people where, in the, where the people of Israel live. Now, how does that happen? You have complete, utter darkness for the Egyptians but you still have light for the Israelites. That is a supernatural, extra-natural event that only God could cause to happen. And this is a principle for you to understand. If you follow God, you will have light in your life. For Jesus is the light of the world. If you reject God, and turn to idols, you will be lost in darkness. A darkness so thick, you can feel it wrapping its evil hands around you, closing in on you until it's too late. Now, as we are drawing closer and closer to Thanksgiving and, and Christmas holidays, I'm reminded about how important tradition is for us. We all probably have important traditions that we keep every year. My family, uh, my extended family, my, I have uh, two sisters and a brother in my, in my uh, 
my father and my mother. And uh, every year we tried to get together for the holidays at different times. Thanksgiving, we, we get all families together. And that's increasingly more difficult to do because we're all spread out in all families. But for Thanksgiving, we either come together at our house, my house, or, or we might get together at my sister and my mother's house and have dinner together. But this year, because of COVID, we've decided that it's just wise for us to gather so many people from different households together in one large gathering because of the, the of how we might bring the virus together as we do that. So we're not going to do that. And many of you may be altering some of your traditions this year as well. Pleasant Grove normally, traditionally gets together with Grove Level Baptist Church and uh, LifeGate Church of God, Cedar Valley Church of God, and we have a Thanksgiving service. But this year, we've talked about it and we've decided we're not going to do that because we don't feel it is the best thing to do. It's not wise to gather three different congregations, sometimes more different congregations together in one place because of the cross-pollination that might take place as far as sharing of viruses. Um, And it's sad that we're not going to do that, but um, I think rather than focusing on the the sadness of changing our traditions, I'm choosing to focus on the good things that God is doing and all of the things that I have for which I am thankful. And so I'll be trying to do that. Tradition can be a good thing. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, one of the greatest Christian leaders in the last 500 years, included tradition among the most important ways that we can know God. The first most and most important way, of course, is through Holy Scripture. But then there is also tradition and reason and experience. Tradition helps us to learn from past experiences as we remember and honor those who have gone before us. Aren't you glad to learn everything in your life through personal experience? Think about that. Had to learn everything. People say, well, I got to learn it the hard way. But imagine if you had to learn everything the hard way. Alive anymore. Because how would you know that walking out in front of a car, you know that, not from personal experience, but from the experience of others. And that's kind of what tradition is. Not just bad things, but good things too. We can learn from the experiences of others. And yet, Wesley also taught that when tradition and, in, and scripture disagree, you have to follow what scripture says. Sometimes he found that in the church, some of the traditions that had grown up as part of the church were, were, were not scriptural and were even contrary to scripture. And in those cases, he, he taught that we needed to change the church to become more like what God originally intended it to be. And also when reason and experience show that a tradition is wrong or unhealthy or dangerous, then you have to break with tradition. Many of us will be breaking with tradition this holiday season because of reason and experience. But tradition is a good thing unless we make it into an idol. Making it more important than God, letting it absorb our heart and imagination more than God, Expecting it to give to us what only God can give. 
Tradition is an idol if we cannot change it no matter what. Anytime you have a tradition, you said, we cannot change this no matter what. That might be a clue that that tradition is becoming or has already become an idol. And remember that idols are disgusting to God. Disgusting because they separate us unjust into darkness. Now, I don't believe that tradition can become an idol in a church, then you might be as blind as the Egyptians were during their plague of darkness. Tradition is an idol that is erected right in the sanctuary of some churches. As a young pastor, you learn very quickly to be extra, extra careful how you do with people's traditions in the church. You learn that quickly or you don't stay a pastor very long. Ironically, we even have a name for these traditions in the church. We call them sacred cows. For example, there was a church that was in Bible school like we here at Pleasant Grove. And, and this church was going to have part of it in the fellowship hall and part was going to be in some of the Sunday school rooms and part of the vacation Bible school was going to be in the sanctuary. So the children's minister who decorated the sanctuary, made it all festive and, and happy and fun according to the theme of vacation Bible school so children could come and learn about Jesus time and grow closer to the Lord. But some of the people in the church were outraged that there desecrate their sanctuary in this way. Because for them, their sanctuary become a sacred cow. And the traditions they had in their sanctuary could not be violated. The idea that the church, the most important thing about the church is that it was on a mission to teach people about Christ. space than it was about fulfilling the mission of the church. Now, that may seem a silly thing to you for a church to be upset about, but that's probably because that's not your tradition. What is your tradition? What is your sacred cow, whether it's in the church or somewhere else? For many, especially in the church, nostalgia about the way things used to be can become an idol. We look back fondly at the way things used to be back in the good old days, and it blinds us to the good that God is trying to give us right now. Or worse, it keeps us from moving forward to where God wants us to be tomorrow. The truth is, the good old days weren't as good as we remember them. Many in America, especially uh, people who are old enough to remember, look back at a time in, in America, maybe the 1950s. They see that as the golden age when, when everything about the world was right. And if we could just get back to that, 
And, and people often will lament that we have changed so much and we have lost so many of the values that we had in the good old days. But you know what? When I think back about the 1950s, things about that time. But also remember that in the mid-1950s, America was in the midst of segregation. Black people and white people were not allowed in the South to go to school together. In my hometown where I grew up, you can still go back to Central City Park, and there they still have separate water fountains where black from this water fountain and white people had to drink from. They don't still do that, but the artifacts are still there. And you know, when we look back at the good old days, we, we conveniently forget all the bad of those days and only recall the sweet and good memories. Ironically, when we look at our lives that we're living now, often we only see the bad things and we overlook the good. The Pharisees in Jesus' day devoted their whole lives and rejected the Son of God when he came to them. They were threatened because he challenged their traditions, their traditional role in society, their traditional position in society. And so Jesus said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. I've heard it said that nostalgia is the enemy of Jesus' mission in the church. Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. But meanwhile, so many in the church spend their time arguing about things like the style of songs that we use in worship or whether we ought to dress up or go casual in worship. Why are we worrying about that? Because we stay in our comfortable, happy traditions and going out as soldiers for Christ. It's scary to be a soldier. It's much more, it's much more comfortable and safe to stay inside the fort arguing about how to decorate it. We're called to be soldiers for Christ on the front lines fighting to share the love of Christ with people around us. When church worships the idol of tradition, it forsakes Jesus' mission and it becomes irrelevant. Sanctuaries, grow empty, churches close. I had someone tell me one time, God would never, you know, they were so proud of their church, but they were struggling because the church was, was dwindling. I said, I just don't believe God would ever allow this church to close. But I think about the holiest that temple today. Every tree that does not bear to the fire. 
church is not a building. Church is the people. All who follow Jesus as Lord are saved by his grace and who are saved by his grace. We are on stones in a living temple. And we have to tell the world So what is your mission? How are you going to live out your mission this week? I'd like to make a few suggestions. If you're not a Christian, I would suggest start today, right now, with turning to God and praying to Him and making a commitment to follow Christ. That's step If you are a Christian, I would suggest you worship the Lord. Not just by what we're doing right now, but I mean, when I say worship the Lord, I mean worship Him all week long. Worship Him by the way you live, by everything you do this week. Let it not just be you going to work, or you going to school, or you going to your home, or cooking a meal, but in everything you're doing, you're worshiping. Let your life be worshipped. Secondly, I would say use every opportunity that you have to share God's love, Jesus' love, with others. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said very clearly in Scripture, they will know you belong to me by the way you love each other. Isn't it interesting? He didn't say they will know you belong to me by who you supported for president. He didn't say you will know you belong to me by your politics, or by which football team you root for, or by where you work, or any of that. They will know you belong to me by the way you love. So use every opportunity to share Jesus' love with others. And tell someone what Jesus has done for you. We're called as his followers to be a witness. It doesn't mean we've got to be able to quote scripture from heart and go up to people and teach them all about the Bible. It just simply means if Jesus has made a difference in your life, tell someone about it. And invite someone to church. Invite someone to church. There's no easier time to live in. I mean, how easy can it possibly be to invite someone to church when all they got to do is get on Facebook? And people are on Facebook like 90% of the time that they're alive or awake these days, right? Every time you look at someone, they've got their phone out and they're looking at Facebook. So say, hey, since you like Facebook so much, why don't you come worship with me this Sunday? Or... If you'd rather be in the sanctuary, come sit beside me. Six feet apart. 